Joseph, we're looking at Genesis 37 through 50, but not only are we looking at Joseph, as we will be reminded today, we're also looking at Jacob and at Judah and ultimately at the Lord God to see his hand of providence, even ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, again, let me just pause and say it's good to be together as a church family. As a, as a church family, we will worship through observing this ordinance that the Lord commands us to observe, but not forever until he comes. Uh, as a church family, it's also, although I'm sure I could mention many things, uh, one thing that I would mention, among others that we could, is that we have prayed for years for the Kime family and for Olivia. And if you're here in our prayer meeting this morning or on this past Wednesday, uh, I won't get into too many details, but I'll just say now is not the time to stop. Uh, Olivia had a very uh, trying uh, week last week. We pray for the family. And again, church family, that's a prayer request that we have been uh, focusing on for years. And now is certainly not the time to stop for that. Well, this morning, what I want to do is, uh, in, a, in a minute or two, I want to begin reading in Genesis chapter 43. Today, I want us to look at fear, favoritism, and famine. So a little uh, alliteration there for you. We'll look at fear, favoritism, and famine, and we'll look at actually both Genesis 42 and 43. I'll, I'll begin reading in the middle the 42 and 43 of the first book of the Bible. And if you're physically able, would you stand with me at this time? Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll keep our Bibles open to read. Father, come and open your word to us, that not only when we come to the Lord's Supper, we certainly want to focus on the Lord Jesus there and, and on his death and on his kingdom, but also here would help us that we might see Jesus as James has just prayed, that whether we are here this morning as an unbeliever or as a believer Oh, Lord, help us in the gospel. Do what you alone can do, which is to give us repentance and faith. Work in us, Lord. Give us a sense of clarity this morning. Help us awaken our consciences, even as we see that here this morning. We pray these things looking to you with expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we stand to read God's word, look with me at verse 1 of Genesis 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, 
And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel, that's the same man as Jacob. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Verse 7. They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty, El Shaddai, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children... I am bereaved. And if you would let your eye go back up to the very end of chapter 42, verse 38. Verse 38 of chapter 42. This is also Israel or Jacob. He said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. You can be seated. I wonder what qualifies as disrespect in your book, in your mind, what qualifies as disrespect from a child to a parent. Uh, let's be more specific. What about um, one who's a child, but not a, a little child, a grown-up child and a parent? What in your mind would qualify as disrespect in such a relationship? Or again, as I say, being more specific, how much can sons and fathers interact without there being a crossing of the line, specifically between sons, or we might broaden it and say uh, sons-in-law and fathers. 
How much interaction can there be without there being a crossing of the line? Can there be a joking between sons and fathers? Can there be sarcasm? Well, let's not leave this vague. How about a specific example right here that we've just read? I wonder what you make of this. I wonder if you would say that uh, what we've just read qualifies as sons disrespecting, in this case, grown sons disrespecting their father. I want us to look at this again in a second, but of course, there are differences, right? There are differences. One man might love, for example, one man might love the fact that his son-in-law jokes with him, and that might be perfectly pleasing to him. While another man will be prepared to deck his own daughter's husband because of perceived insubordination. I don't care if you're married to my daughter. You're talking to me that way. I'll show you who is still man of this house. People are different. I'm not saying that all is relative, that it doesn't matter. That's not my point. But what do you make of this? What do you make of what we've just read? Look at it again with me. We will get into 42 in just a minute. We'll get into chapter 42, but, but what do you make of this? Look again at chapter 43. The famine was severe in the land when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt. Their father said to them, said to who? Well, said to his sons, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah, one of the boys, who's not a boy anymore, said to him, Dad, Dad, the man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face. Verse 4, If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. Buy you food. But in other words, read between the lines, We will not obey this commandment from you. We will not obey this request as is. If you amend your request... If you're willing to do what we think needs to be done, then we will do it. Do you see? They get a little testy maybe in verse 7. They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves. He asked us these questions. We, what we told him was an answer to these questions. Dad, that could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And, and then in verse 8, Judah said to Israel, his father, Father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. And then did you catch what we read earlier that he said in verse 10? Did you catch that, verse 10? Oh, and by the way, if we, parentheses, you, Dad, if we had not been dragging our feet, we could have gone twice and come back already. Well, just to be clear, just to state the obvious, not to hopefully insult your intelligence about what's going on here, the brothers are frustrated. The brothers are frustrated, do you see? They, they feel like that their father is what? They feel like he's dragging his feet. They see clearly in their minds, they see this is what needs to be done. This is, this is what needs to be done. This is the way to make it happen. And, and you are dragging your feet. We could have been there twice already. 
can, can we just, can you please give me Benjamin and let us go? So I want to I pretty quickly walk through this passage, and I just want to make seven observations, and we'll just walk through it at a pretty brisk pace. The first one is this. You ready? The first one is this. The, the heading number one, stop staring at each other and do something, you lazy, good-for-nothing boys. This is number one, seriously. Chapter 42, go there with me. Chapter 42, verse 1. Stop staring at each other and do something, you lazy, good-for-nothing boys. Chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Chapter 42, verse 3. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But notice this. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, do you remember what we were just talking about? And you remember what I said in chapter 43. What was the situation there? The situation there was kind of the reverse of what we just read in 42. There, in chapter 43, the brothers were frustrated with their father because to their mind, the path of action was clear, right? This is what we need to do, and there's only one way to do it. We can't go down to Egypt, Dad, to get more grain because the man said, the Lord of the land, he said very plainly, you've got to have your brother or you're not going to see my face. So why are you dragging your feet? But you see, it's kind of the opposite here in 42, 1 through 5. Did you notice that? And you notice, of course, right, that the Bible is a very real book. My friends, the Bible is a very human book. Not because it's not the Word of God. It is the very Word of God. But when I say it's a very human book, it's very earthy. It's, it's got some hilarious things in it. It's got some hilarious. Would you look at verse 2? Jacob, also known, a.k.a. Israel, right? He's one of the patriarchs. Where you get the name Israel. Israel speaking to his sons, and he says, Behold, Verse 42, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. What's your objective here, Jacob? Could you make it plain? Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Well, that's just pretty, you know, he's just stating it as it is, right? Would you do something so that we could live and not die? Well, that's not the hilarious part. In my opinion, the hilarious part is verse 1. Look again there. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, stop. Verse 56 of chapter 41. Get the context. You know, context, as they say, context is king. Chapter 41, verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. The story to this point 
is that Joseph has been exalted to a high place after spending 13 years in the providence of God in a very low place. God said through dreams, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. The famine's here. And back in verse 1 of chapter 42, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And that's hilarious. I picture Jacob's boys in the living room uh, watching TV and the power goes out and then they start looking at one another as some maybe have accused professional golfer Dustin Johnson of sometimes having a blank face and maybe they're looking at one another. Huh? What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? The power's out in my, in my story. And Jacob, in essence, says, stop staring at each other and do something, you lazy, good-for-nothing boys. Why do you look at each other? He, he jerks them up, in a sense. And again, notice verse 3. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. And you want to keep in mind, as I've already said, verse 4 is bookmarked at the very end of chapter 42. This is important, my friends. This is important. I've already told you, what are we talking about today? We're talking about fear, favoritism, and famine. And that's really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you those three things, just, just to be cute because it's an alliteration. That's really 42 and 43. Chapter 42, here it is, here it is this morning. Chapter 42, Joseph's brothers go down to Egypt. Chapter 43, Joseph's brothers again go down to Egypt. We're talking about fear, Famine and favoritism, and it's both chapters, but it's right here at the beginning. All three things are at the beginning. Do you see that? Jacob did not send Benjamin. Oh, Jacob has played favorites before, and he's doing it again. He didn't send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared. Why? For he feared, he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. I hope you see where we are in this story now. Number two, number two, verse six. Let me say this. When God reveals something in a dream, it will come to pass. When God reveals something in a dream, it will come to pass. Or we could just say it in a more general way. When God reveals something in his word, take it to the bank. It will come to pass. Bank your life, your very life on the word of God. When he says, when he says in Acts 4, 11 through 12, that there is salvation in no other name save in the name of Jesus, then you can know, then you can know that your only hope is a sure hope and that it is through Christ crucified. Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead is our proclamation. You can bank on the word of God. And that's what I see here. Now, let's just, as I say, let's, let's pick it up just a little bit. Verse 6, look at it with me. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Stop. Did you notice that? Does that bring anything to mind? When it says, 
Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Flip real quick to chapter 37. So what I want to say is that there's a lot that happens in chapters 38 through 41. However, today, 42 and 43, takes us right back to chapter 37. Do you, do you have any type of dysfunction in your larger family at all? I don't think it's so much if any family in the world has dysfunction. It's, it's more so to degrees. There are some families, I think by, by God's grace, by what we sometimes call common grace, there are some families that may have little amount of dysfunction. But I say to you again, do you think about your larger family? Is there any dysfunction there at all? Well, today really harkens back to chapter 37, and we are reminded, oh yes, I remember, the family of Jacob has a decent degree of dysfunction. Look at this. Chapter 37, verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, he's 17 years old, hear this dream that I have dreamed. You're going to love it. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, you little punk? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. And then, then of course, he has another dream where the, the moon and the stars, his, not only his brothers, but his parents, Uh, so, friends, when God reveals something in a dream, it will come to pass. Back in chapter 42, verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Mark that. Mark that. He recognized them, not they him. He treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now, you think about that. How can that be? Does anybody here, you don't raise your hand, but maybe somebody is saying this morning, I, you know, I think I question the word of God here. Because how could they not recognize him? Well, it's been 20 years. He has all of the, I guess the fancy word is the accoutrements. He has, he has remember, he's been dressed up by Pharaoh. Remember, he's not speaking their language. He knows their language. He's not speaking their language. He's wearing ornate clothing. It's been 20 years. He was 17 when they last saw him. Oh, no, no, no. No, this is, this is totally legit. He recognized them. That makes sense. They don't recognize him. Verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. I wonder if Joseph remembered chapter 37. Yep, yep, Moses, the narrator says, verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, verse 10, No, 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 my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men, wink, wink, wink. Your servants have never been spies. They are honest at this point. They're not honest men in their whole lives. Verse 12, he said to them, Joseph said to his brothers, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. Which, of course, is just, uh, as it's been said, it's just an idiom. 
or how spies would come and see where the land was, was exposed to where they could get an entry point, to where they could get an advantage to survey the land. And he says this a total of three times, by the way. And they said in verse 13, they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. Who's that? That's Benjamin. And one is no more. Who's that? That's Joseph. But Joseph said to them, verse 14, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. The third comment that I want to make is that word testing. You see it twice, testing. Friends, in the Bible, God tests people, and people test people. And did you know that the Bible also says that believers should test themselves? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Believers should test themselves. The Bible shows us examples of people testing people, like we test a deacon if he would be qualified. And God tests, God, listen, God does not tempt people to sin. You are responsible for your life. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or else you will perish eternally. God is not the author of sin. He does not tempt people to sin. He does test his people and people test people. Number four, listen to me. We may have every right to deal harshly with someone but we may choose instead to deal with appropriate lenience and grace. Let me say that again, number four. We may have, humanly speaking, we may have every right to deal harshly with someone based on past grievances. Have you ever been hurt in the past? Have you ever been hurt bad by someone? Humanly speaking, we may have every right to deal harshly with someone based on past grievances, but we may also choose, we may also choose not to be foolish. If someone has hurt you uh, and truly, truly hurt you in the past, you, you don't be, and you don't just forgive and forget and just, you know, but we, we may wisely choose, we may wisely choose to extend grace and not to give, so to speak, the full measure of punishment. Joseph here in the story, uh, boys and girls and everybody, Joseph is here for the first time in a long time, and he recognizes his brothers. His brothers are before him, save one, save Benjamin. He sees them, and what's he doing? He's testing them, right? He's testing them. Is he being too harsh? Where are you from? You're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. I don't think so. I think it's like I just said. You don't just forgive and forget. You can show grace, but it doesn't mean you check your wisdom at the door. If someone's hurt you, you might take precaution so that you don't get hurt by that unhelpful person again. Matthew chapter 18 is not only, if you, if you know Matthew 18, it's not only about church discipline. It also has a most beautiful 
parable about forgiveness that Jesus tells to Peter. Look at verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. You can barely, you can barely see Joseph talking this story without him talking about God. You never hear his brothers talk about God. Until soon. Until soon, because it seems that what God is doing in this passage is he is awakening their consciousness. And some of you this morning may need to have your conscience awakened you may, you may know, even as I speak, the Lord may help you to see that you are guilty. These brothers are, in fact, guilty. And what God is doing through Joseph, not Joseph, but what God is doing through Joseph is he is awakening their guilty collective conscience. And Joseph says, I fear God, verse 19, if you are honest men, you said you were, I know different. If you are honest men, 4219, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the, let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. Do you see why I worded uh, number four the way I did? We may have every right to be harsh. Listen, get the story. Joseph at first said, one of you go back to Canaan and the rest of you stay here in prison and get your brother Benjamin. And he says, okay, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this. You ever said that? Okay, let's, let's, let's do this. And he says, I fear God. And he says, I'm not going to deal with you. Listen, I'm not going to deal with you in the putrid, awful way that you dealt with me. And later in this story, we're going to see Joseph, if you will, turn into a crybaby, not once, but twice. And it is beautiful. Grace through Jesus Christ is beautiful. And he says, I'm, I'm, let me change my plan. How about one of you stay back here in prison and the rest of you go back and get your brother? Verse 20, bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth. Remember that whole thing about the awakened conscience? They said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Let me let you look at verse 21 again there for just a second. Look at that. What that's saying is, is that back in chapter 37, when they threw him into the pit, that 17 year old Joseph was saying, hey, guys, hey, what are you doing? Hey, please get me out of here. Please don't leave me here. Isn't that what verse 21 is saying? I believe, as I've told you before, that when 37, chapter 37 actually happens, the narrator specifically chooses not to say this then, which is to say he, he is like the suffering servant and he suffers according to the narrator in chapter 37. He suffers in silence, which I don't think is incompatible with what's going on here. Do you see? that it tells us in verse 21, no, he, there were no words on his lips from the narrator in chapter 37. Joseph was silent, but he wasn't silent. He was saying, please don't leave me. And the men are here saying, the men don't know, listen, they don't know that Joseph understands them. The brothers are talking to each other, right? Here in verse 21, they're talking, they're, they're in prison. And as James Boyce has pointed out, our lives are so busy 
And sometimes if you can actually be silent, if you can be silent and in solitude in the presence of God, then maybe he'll begin to work in your life. And so they're in prison and they begin to think, what what have we done? They've never talked about God. And now they're saying, this has to be God. This has to be God getting back at us. Verse 22, and Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. I do not think Joseph is a crybaby. I think this is one of the most beautiful, humane stories in all of creation. He turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them, verse 24, and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Verse 26, then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed, and as one of them opened his sack, To give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. You remember what we're talking about this morning? Fear, favoritism, and famine. And they turned what? Trembling to one another, saying... What is this that God, what is this that God has done to us? My friend, do you know that God made you and that he sustains you and that he gives you life and breath? It is with God that you have to do. You have to do with other people, your spouse and your family and your friends and your colleagues but it is with God that you have to do. And there is this dawning awareness. What is this that God has done to us? They think of it only in in punitive terms. God is against us. God is going to judge us. You see, let me say this. Let us beware of having a pity party for ourselves. Bad things do happen to us. Bad things do happen to us. Spiritual depression is real. But let us, this is number five, let us beware of having a pity party for ourselves. Verse 29, when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, look at it with me, lock in. They told him all that had happened to them saying, the man, the Lord of the land, who's that? We know who it is. That's Joseph. They don't know spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we're honest men. We've never been spies. We're 12 brothers, sons of one of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. He's just, of course, you you see, he's reporting what happened. Verse 35, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. 
And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were what? They were afraid. My friends, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, which is also one of our memory verse, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear. Remember the New Testament and remember the gospel. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. Over and over again, they're afraid. They're afraid. And later in chapter 43, which we're barely going to touch this morning, later in chapter 43, Joseph Steward says what? Shalom. Peace be to you. Do not be afraid. It was arranged that your money would be back in your sacks. That was not an accident. God did that for you. God did that for you. Shalom. Peace be to you. This is the word of the gospel. The word of the gospel comes through Jesus Christ crucified and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jacob has an unhelpful focus on himself. I'm glad that I've never had that. Genesis 42, 36. Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, I think this is kind of like not the most helpful. Hey, Dad, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Brothers and sisters, let's beware of having a pity party for ourselves. Bad things do happen. Spiritual depression is real. Pity parties are largely sinful, and we see that on clear display here with Israel, with Jacob. I'll just give you six and seven before I close. I'll just give them to you. Six, sometimes idealism needs to be challenged so that what is needed may actually get done. I'm not a fan of pragmatism. You know what pragmatism is? Pragmatism is do whatever works. And like in church life, just do whatever works to bring the people in. Do whatever works even to get them saved. I'm not a fan of pragmatism but there can also be a bad type of idealism. Sometimes idealism needs to be challenged so that what is needed may actually be done. I just simply draw that from the story here. Chapter 43, hey dad, the man clearly said, he clearly said he will not see, you will not see my face again unless your brother Benjamin. Man, Joseph is really testing his brothers. Like at the very point, at the very point of their father's greatest fear. At the very point. Do you see? You see this fear, famine, and favoritism? At the very, it's like this, like Jacob. Does he care about his other sons? You can't take Benjamin. What if he dies? What about us, dad? Do you care? I mean, what about us? What are we, sliced meat, whatever the saying is? Minced meat, I don't know. You can tell me afterwards. Chopped liver, thank you. Yeah, I mean, if you guys die, I mean, that'd be kind of bad, but not Benjamin. Not Benjamin. No, in chapter 43, idealism, a bad type of idealism is overcome by, hey, here's what we need to do so that we can live, and dad, so that you can live, and so that our little ones can live. And number seven is this. It's the word compassion. Compassion. 
we have some members in our church who are second-rate members. They're NC State fans. Uh, Jimmy Valvano, apologize to you, second-rate members. I will not get this perfect. But Jim Valvano, the now-deceased basketball coach, uh, especially in the 80s of NC State, once famously said, and here's where I won't get the quote perfectly, he was a very emotional man, I think in, in, in many ways in a good way. And he said, you know, to me, a day is not a day unless there's the highs and the lows, unless there's, there's laughing and crying all in the span of one day. And I've mentioned it to you already. I'll say it again. In chapter 43, there's this language about Joseph growing warm. What a story. What a story. And, and in both places, there's two different times where you might call him a crybaby, but he is not a crybaby. And he finds himself, he, listen, the very one who had been mistreated to the hilt. He's in the presence of his brothers who do not recognize him. And, I, and he begins to see these may not be the exact same men that they were. The power of the gospel is the same for today. You do not have to be the same man, woman, boy, or girl that you were 20 years ago or two days ago. And he begins to weep. Listen to me. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for us, for you, for all who will repent and believe. Will you repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you? Do you remember what I said earlier? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Jesus died for us on the cross and he was buried and he rose from the dead for our justification. He bore the wrath of God in our place, the place of sinners like you and me. He took our place dying as our substitute and Jesus also lived. The heart of the gospel is indeed Jesus dying on the cross, bearing the wrath of God in the place of sinners and rising from the dead. But as Pastor Ray has mentioned, I believe already this morning, Jesus also lived prior to his dying on the cross. He's alive today. He also lived prior. He lived and he lived a life of perfect righteousness. Listen, Jesus wept. He was full of compassion. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He was full of compassion. Jim Valvano wept. Joseph wept. Joseph was a crier. I think it was a very appropriate and good crier. Jesus bled and died. Prior to this, he was a man of sorrows. If there was ever a man who was fully alive, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph was moved. You don't have to cry. I'm certainly not asking you to cry now. The point is this. The point is this. Joseph was moved to tears by the very ones who had betrayed and sought to kill him. Kind of like Stephen in the book of Acts. Kind of like the Lord Jesus. The difference thing about Jesus is that he is full of pity and power. He can and does save to the uttermost. Go to him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for epistles and poems 
and prophets and prophecies and apocalyptic literature like Revelation. Thank you for stories which are true, which tell us the true story of the world. May we truly be caught up in the true story of the world, which is what you are doing and what you have done and what you will do. We give all praise to you. Help us this morning, we pray. Amen. Thank you.